0: Section 18 of A Book of Giants. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Giants by Henry Wisham Lanier. Part 3. Nursery Tales of Many Lands. The time came when men became so sophisticated that they lost faith in the giants, even the work of their own minds. Only the children still believed. In many lands, the old people still tell to the simple of heart of all ages such tales as these that follow. For more than two hundred years, practically every English-speaking child has read or been read the stories of Jack the Giant Killer and Jack and the Beanstalk, which are full of echoes of Thor's adventures among the frost giants and other misty myths of earliest times. The famous. Fee-fi-fo-fum speech of the giant seems to come down from a couplet spoken by a giantess of old in the Arabic story of Sunabal and the Ogris. While the present tales are not so well known, they doubtless have a similarly ancient pedigree. Thus the Serbian tale comes largely from the Arabian Nights, and it is our old friend Polyphemus, from whom the Korean seamen escaped. Even Gulliver's travels in the land of Brobdignag has a close parallel in faraway Japan. A man of Nagasaki, Shikaiya Wasobioyi by name, after marvellous adventures among the three thousand worlds, comes to the land of giants. He rides on the back of a stork through total darkness for five months, and at length reaches a country where the sun shines again, where weeds are as large as bamboos, trees so great that it is a journey to walk around them, and the men some sixty feet in height, a giant picks him up and feeds him on single grains of huge rice. When the traveler tries to question the tall man upon the ways of his people, the giant laughs and declares so tiny a person could not possibly have intelligence enough to understand such great matters. Chapter 18 The Giant Hand, Irish. A day Finn and his men were in the hunting hill. They killed a great number of deer, and when they were wearied after the chase, they sat down on a pleasant green knoll, at the back of the wind and at the face of the sun, where they could see everyone, and no one at all could see them. While they were sitting in that place, Finn lifted his eyes toward the sea, and saw a ship making straight for the haven beneath the spot on which they were sitting. "'When the ship came on land, a big young hero leaped out of her on the shore, "'seized her by the bows and drew her up, her own seven lengths, on green grass, "'where the eldest son of neither landowner nor of holder of large town land dared mock or jibe at her. "'Then he ascended the hillside, leaping over the hollows and slanting the knolls, "'till he reached the spot on which Finn and his men were sitting. "'He saluted Finn frankly.' energetically, fluently, and Finn saluted him with the equivalent of the same words. Finn then asked him whence did he come, or what was he wanting. He answered Finn that he had come through night watching and tempest of sea where he was, because he was losing his children, and it had been told him that there was not a man in the world who could keep his children for him, but him, Finn, king of the Fane. And he said to Finn, I lay on thee, as crosses and spells and seven fairy fetters of travelling and straying, to be with me before thou shalt eat food, or drink a draught, or close an eye and sleep. Having said this, he turned away from them and descended the hillside the way he ascended it. When he reached the ship, he placed his shoulder against the bow and put her out. He then leaped into her and departed in the direction he came, until they lost sight of him. Finn was now under great heaviness of mind, because the vows had been laid on him, and he must fulfil them, or travel onwards until he would die. He knew not whither he should go or what he should do, but he left Farewell with his men and descended the hillside to the seaside. When he reached that, he could not go farther on the way in which he saw the big young hero depart; he therefore began to walk along the shore, but before he had gone very far forward he saw a company of seven men coming to meet him. When he reached the men, he asked the first of them, what was he good at? The man answered that he was a good carpenter. Finn asked him how good was he at carpentry. The man said that, with three strokes of his axe, he could make a large, capacious, complete ship of the alder stock over yonder. art good enough, said Finn, thou mayst pass by. He then asked of the second man what he was good at. The man said that he was a good tracker. How good art thou, said Finn. I can track the wild duck over the crests of the nine waves within nine days, said the man. Thou art good enough, said Finn. Thou mayest pass by. Then he said to the third man, What art thou good at? The man replied that he was a good gripper. How good art thou? The hold I get I will not let go until my two arms come from my shoulders, or until my hold comes with me. Thou art good enough, thou mayst pass by. Then he said to the fourth man, What art thou good at? He answered that he was a good climber. How good art thou? I can climb on a filament of silk to the stars, although thou wert to tie it there. Thou art good enough, thou mayst pass by. He then said to the fifth man, What art thou good at? He answered that he was a good listener. "'How good art thou?' "'He said that he could hear what people were saying "'at the extremity of the uttermost world. "'Thou art good enough. "'Thou mayst pass by.' "'He asked of the sixth man. "'What art thou good at?' "'He replied that he was a good thief. "'How good art thou? "'I can steal the egg from the heron "'while her two eyes are looking at me. "'Thou art good enough. "'Thou mayst pass by.' Then he said to the seventh man, What art thou good at? He replied that he was a good marksman. How good art thou? I could hit an egg as far away in the sky as bowstring could send, or bow could carry. Thou art good enough. Thou mayest pass by. All this gave Finn great encouragement. He turned round and said to the carpenter, Prove thy skill. The carpenter went where the stock was and struck it with his axe thrice, and as he said the ship was ready. When Finn saw the ship ready, he ordered his men to put her out. They did that and went on board of her. Finn now ordered the tracker to go to the bow and prove himself. At the same time he told him that yesterday a big young hero left yonder haven in his ship and that he wanted to follow the hero to the place in which he now was. Finn himself went to steer the ship and they departed the tracker was telling him to keep her that way or to keep her this way they sailed a long time forward without seeing land but they kept on their course until the evening was approaching in the gloaming they noticed that land was ahead of them and they made straight for it when they reached the shore they leaped to land and drew up the ship then they noticed a large fine house in the glen above the beach they took their way up to the house and when they were nearing it they saw the big young hero coming to meet them "'He ran and placed his two arms about Finn's neck and said, "'Darling of all men in the world, hast thou come? "'If I'd been thy darling of all the men in the world, "'it is not as thou didst leave me that thou wouldst have left me?' said Finn. "'Oh, it was not without a way of coming I left thee,' said the big young hero. "'Did I not send a company of seven men to meet thee?' "'When they reached the house, the big young hero told Finn and his men to go in.' They accepted the invitation and found abundance of meat and drink. After they had quenched their hunger and thirst, the big young hero came in where they were and said to Finn, Six years from this night my wife was in childbed and a child was born to me. As soon as the child came into the world, a large hand came in at the chimney and took the child with it in the hollow of the hand. Three years from this night the same thing happened, and tonight she's going to be in childbed again. "'Twas told me that thou wert the only man in the world who could keep my children for me, and now I have courage since I have found thee.' Finn and his men were tired and sleepy. Finn said to the men that they were to stretch themselves on the floor and that he was going to keep watch. They did as they were told, and he remained, sitting beside the fire. At last sleep began to come upon him, but he had a bar of iron in the fire— and as often as his eyes would begin to close with sleep, he would thrust the iron through the bone of his palm, and that was keeping him awake. About midnight the woman was delivered, and as soon as the child came into the world, the hand came in at the chimney. Finn called on the gripper to get up. The gripper sprang quickly on his feet and laid hold of the hand. He gave a pull on the hand and took it into the eyebrows at the chimney. The hand gave a pull on the gripper, and took him out to the top of his two shoulders. The gripper gave another pull on the hand, and brought it in to the neck. The hand gave a pull on the gripper, and brought him out to the very middle. The gripper gave a pull on the hand and took it in over the two armpits. The hand gave a pull on the gripper, and took him out to the smalls of his two feet. Then the gripper gave a brave pull on the hand, and it came out of the shoulder and when it fell on the floor, the pulling of seven geldings was in it, but the big giant outside put in the other hand and took the child with him in the hollow of his hand. They were all very sorry that they lost the child, but Finn said, We will not yield to this yet. I and my men will go away after the hand before a sun shall rise on a dwelling to-morrow. At break of dawn, Finn and his men turned out, and reached the beach where they had left the ship. They launched the ship and leaped on board of her. The tracker went to the bow, and Finn went to steer her. They departed, and now and again the tracker would cry to Finn to keep her in that direction, or to keep her in this direction. They sailed onward a long distance without seeing anything before them, except the great sea. At the going down of the sun, Finn noticed a black spot in the ocean ahead of them, He thought it too little for an island, and too large for a bird, but he made straight for it. In the darkening of the night they reached it, and it was a rock, and a castle thatched with eel-skins was on its top. They landed on the rock. They looked about the castle, but they saw neither window nor door at which they could get in. At last they noticed that it was on the roof, the door was. They did not know how they could get up, because the thatch was so slippery." But the climber cried, ''Let me over, and I will not be long in climbing it.'' He sprang quickly towards the castle, and in an instant was on its roof. He looked in at the door, and after taking particular notice of everything that he saw, he descended where the rest were waiting. Finn asked of him, ''What did he see?'' He said that he saw a big giant lying on a bed, a silk covering over him and a satin covering under him, and his hand stretched out and an infant asleep in the hollow of his hand, that he saw two boys on the floor playing with shinties, shinny-sticks of gold and a ball of silver, and that there was a very large deer-hound bitch lying beside the fire and two pups sucking her. Then, said Finn, I do not know how we shall get them out. The thief answered and said, If I get in, I will not be long putting them out. The climber said, come on my back and I'll take thee up to the door. The thief did as he was told and got into the castle. Instantly he began to prove his skill. The first thing he put out was the child that was in the cup of the hand. He then put out the two boys that were playing on the floor. He then stole the silk covering that was over the giant and the satin covering that was under him and put them out. Then he put out the shinties of gold and the ball of silver. He then stole the two pups that were sucking the bitch beside the fire. These were the most valuable things which he saw inside. He left the giant asleep and turned out. They placed the things which the thief stole in the ship and departed. They were but a short time sailing when the listener stood up and said, "'Tis I, who am hearing him? "'Tis I, who am listening to him?' "'What art thou hearing?' asked Finn." He has just awakened, said the listener, and missed everything that was stolen from him. He's in a great wrath, sending away the bitch and saying to her that if she will not go, that he will go himself. But it is the bitch that is going. In a short time they looked behind them and saw the bitch come in swimming. She was cleaving the sea on each side of her in red sparks of fire. They were seized with fear and said that they did not know what they should do. But Finn considered, and then told them to throw out one of the pups. Perhaps when she would see the pup drowning, she would return with it. They threw out the pup, and as Finn said, it happened. The bitch returned with the pup. This left them at the time pleased. But shortly after that the listener arose, trembling, and said, "'Tis I who am hearing him. "'Tis I who am listening to him.' "'What art thou saying now?' said Finn." He's again sending away the bitch, and since she will not go, he's coming himself. When they heard this, their eye was always behind them. At last they saw him coming, and the great sea reached not beyond its haunches. They were seized with fear and great horror, for they knew not what they should do. But Finn thought of his knowledge set of teeth, and having put his finger under it, found out that the giant was immortal, except in a mole which was in the hollow of his palm. THE MARKSMAN THEN STOOD UP AND SAID, IF I GET ONE LOOK OF IT, I'LL HAVE HIM. THE GIANT CAME WALKING FORWARD THROUGH THE SEA TO THE SIDE OF THE SHIP, AND HE LIFTED UP HIS HAND TO SEIZE THE TOP OF THE MAST IN ORDER TO SINK THE SHIP. BUT WHEN THE HAND WAS ON HIGH, THE MARKSMAN NOTICED THEM ALL, AND HE LET AN ARROW OFF IN ITS DIRECTION. THE ARROW STRUCK THE GIANT IN THE DEATH SPOT, AND HE FELL DEAD ON THE SEA. They were now very happy, for there was nothing more before them to make them afraid. They put about and sailed back to the castle. The thief stole the pup again, and they took it with them, along with the one they had. After that they returned to the place of the big young hero. When they reached the haven they leaped on land and drew the ship up on dry ground. Then Finn went away with the family of the big young hero, and with everything which he and his men took out of the castle— to the fine house of the big young hero. The big young hero met him coming, and when he saw his children he went on his two knees to Finn and said, "'What now is thy reward?' Finn answered and said that he was asking nothing but his choice of the two pups which they took from the castle. The big young hero said that he would get that and a great deal more if he would ask it, but Finn wanted nothing except the pup. This pup was Bran, and his brother—' that the big young hero got was the grey dog. The big young hero took Finn and his men into his house and made for them a great, joyous, merry feast which was kept up for a day and a year, and if the last day was not the best, it was not the worst. That is how Finn kept his children for the big young hero of the ship and how Bran was found. Many and marvellous were the further deeds of Finn McCumal and of his incomparable dog Bran, and they are duly recorded in the book of the dun cow and the book of leinster and the qualm cattle raid that all who will may know of them end of section eighteen read by sandra near montreal twenty twenty two